All the way my Saviour leads me, what have I to ask beside? Amen. I have always been something of a stained glass window gazer. Chartres Cathedral, Canterbury, countless parish churches up and down my country of birth can lose me for hours tracing the play of light and color and story and painstaking artistry. I developed my knack for holy gawking growing up as a choir boy in a Norman era English church gazing at a large window that rose high above the altar, depicting various scenes from Jesus' life. Whether the sermon was good, bad, or indifferent, I could guarantee myself a good story by staring around the panels of that window for a while. Feel free to do the same thing right now if it helps you get through the next ten minutes or so. From childhood to ordained life, I've kept up the habit and have enjoyed a fair bit of window gazing here at All Saints, listening to every word of the sermon, mind. I know people rightly love the windows here in our main sanctuary, but I've especially enjoyed our chapel windows, an eclectic mixture of biblical prophets and everyday people. Some on bikes with family pets, There's even an extra canonical ode to Westminster schools, if you can find it. If you haven't spent much time in there yourself, please do. It's a wonderful celebration of our all-sorts ecclesiastical outlook. Among the chapel windows overlooking the altar is a panel of four remarkable people. Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Samuel Seabury, and Absalom Jones, whose feast we celebrate today. What I find especially striking about these four stained glass companions is their placement. Set above the altar, the place where in so many ways the church defines what constitutes Christian community. They look down as if guardians of what John's gospel today names as a hallmark of being such a community that we are those who share friendship with God. Seen through the prism of the New Testament, friendship with Jesus is not exactly an easygoing relationship. The apostles, the first followers of Jesus, are friends with their Lord, yet that friendship saw them leave the familiar for a life on the road punctuated by hardship, conflict, and most of the time confusion about what it all meant. As tradition has it, several of those first friends of Jesus suffered at the hands of others just as he had, even unto death. What is also clear from the New Testament is that something about this friendship left them restless. As T.S. Eliot's poetry puts it, they were no longer at ease in the old dispensation. Jesus says, I have called you friends. Because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. I imagine that to know what Jesus had heard from God would have been like seeing color for the first time. Once the world has been presented to you in such a new light, nothing else but a repeat of that glorious vision will do. My sense is that this kind of restlessness is something 
the four figures in our stained glass windows had in common. Each of them had that inspiring and I'm sure also infuriating human quality of being people who refused to accept the status quo. Mother Teresa refused to accept the status quo that saw the poor in India die without the dignity they deserved. Martin Luther King refused to accept the status quo of a racially segregated country and the cycle of injustice, poverty and cruelty that so many black Americans faced. Samuel Seabury refused to accept the status quo of the Church of England's requirement for him to fair allegiance to the king in order to be ordained the first American bishop. And so he was consecrated instead in the dissenting Scottish Episcopal Church. And Absalom Jones refused to accept the status quo that treated people of black skin as property and at the same time refused to accept that the church could not proclaim a better gospel than the one that endorsed slavery by either doctrine or complicit silence. Yet Jesus' friendship with each of these figures was not only a catalyst for their stand against injustice, it was also the strength that gave them a rare kind of hope to believe that something of God's kingdom could indeed come upon the earth, no matter how desperate the present circumstances. Absalom Jones' life was certainly one characterized by hope. Born a slave in 1746 as a child, Absalom Jones used the Bible to teach himself how to read. On marrying his wife Mary at the age of 20, rather than accept that any children they would have would also become slaves, inheriting that birthright from their mother, he raised the money needed to purchase Mary's freedom, and so theirs also. When his slave master refused to accept his own purchase for freedom, he persuaded him to grant him manumission. So while he stayed in his master's employ, he could earn enough to pay their debts and invest in a small property. This determination to find a way out of no way was equally true of Absalom Jones' life as a church leader. For years, he attended St. George's Methodist Church one of a small number of churches in 18th century Philadelphia that would allow blacks to worship with whites. Yet, as the number of African Americans grew at St. George's, so did the unease among some white congregants, leading the white leaders of the church to demand that the black members sit in a newly constructed gallery above the rest of the congregation. And being confronted on the matter, Absalom Jones refused and ultimately was physically lifted out of his seat while he was praying and removed from the church. I don't know about you, but I may well have just shrunk back at that indignity. And alongside Richard Allen, with whom years before he had founded the Free African Society, a mutual aid organization serving the black community the first of its kind, Jones saw in that moment of rejection and humiliation, an opening for a new chapter in the life of the black church. While Richard Allen preferred to stick with the Methodist tradition, founding what would become the African Methodist Episcopal Church, Absalom Jones helped form the African Episcopal Church of St. Thomas, Philadelphia, 
at the time the nation's first African-American mainline congregation. He became the Episcopal Church's first black priest and led that church as a gifted preacher and teacher for many years. I suppose one of the intentions of the faces we see in stained glass windows is to offer the living inspiration for what it might look like for them to live such a Christian life. On this day, when we honor Absalom Jones, might the inspiration we gain from his part in this church's heritage be to feel something of his restlessness, something of his hope that God is doing a new thing in our own place and time. I recall a couple of years ago when we started to think what this church's contribution might be to the work of racial healing in this city, that it felt like the scale a complexity of the needs of the black community in Atlanta were simply overwhelming. Indeed, the world can often feel that way. Our challenges today can seem so vast, literally planetary in scale, that it almost feels impossible to know to where to begin. I imagine that Absalom Jones must have felt that the realities of slavery were also too vast to overcome, yet he persisted anyway. Indeed, the love of the crucified God, one man hanging in solidarity with a world full of hurt and harm, seems so small an act, so inconsequential. Yet in this foolishness of the cross, in this weakness of human suffering, God reveals the immense and life-changing power of vulnerable love. A life spent in friendship with Jesus is not a life of dramatic returns on that investment as much as it is a journey of a myriad small steps. This Black History Month, what might it mean for you to lean into that friendship with Jesus in a way that leads you to one next step toward justice, toward healing, toward the kingdom in Jesus God has inaugurated, yet we are left to fulfill. Perhaps it is as simple as responding to the woefully low literacy levels among black children in this state by serving as a tutor in People's Town. Perhaps you will answer the restlessness you feel about the rates of homelessness or the lack of access to effective and affordable medical care for families and children in the black community by supporting Covenant Community or the efforts of the Midtown Assistance Center to prevent spiraling debt and poverty. Or maybe you'll choose to volunteer and offer your gifts to the Threads Clothing Ministry. Friendship with Jesus will do that to a person. It will turn your restlessness for the kingdom of God into action. It will take your sense that the challenges of the world are too overwhelming and replace it with a persistent kind of hope, something our way of life calls faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Thanks be to God for the restless persistence of hope in this place. 
For this is my commandment, says Jesus, that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen.